0: Well, turn with me uh, today to Isaiah 43, verse 15 to 21. Isaiah 43, verse 15 to 21. And hopefully you guys got uh, the sermon notes handout. Uh, We do this on purpose. And uh, we want you uh, to begin to walk with us in series. In fact, most of the teaching that we have happens in sermon series. It's a teaching series, and we kind of go through the sermon series. We started a new um, series called Priorities a couple of weeks ago. We went through two weeks. Uh, last week, we talked about time is sacred. We're going to pause on that, and I hope you guys have been uh, going ahead and writing down uh, your, uh, your time and how you're using it this week. And uh, if you haven't had a handout, I think there's enough, there might be more handouts in the back, The challenge is simply that time is sacred and get to know how uh, God wants to use your time. And without a space and margin in your time, God can't speak to you, let alone use you. And uh, so we talked about that last week. We're going to hit pause on that because today is Vision Sunday. And so what is Vision Sunday? Maybe you've never heard the term before. It's simply a Sunday Sunday that we take and focus in on what God is telling us as a church. Now, you guys know this because you've been around church. Some of you guys maybe not, but a church is not a building. Amen? Amen? A church is not a brand. A church is not a denomination. A church is people of God coming together to worship a one true living Savior. See, when the church recognizes that only the church can be the church, it's a powerful thing. See, when we come together, things change. Things happen, not because of our expertise or the way that we look or tall or short or You know, skinny or skinnier, right? Not because of those things, but because God is speaking to His church in 2018. As a church, it is our job to focus in and listen in to what God is saying to us personally, in our personal lives, and what God is saying to our church. Some of you guys have been here for a long time and you recognize some of the little changes that we've done, the chairs or some of the cleanup. But God is in the business of not just changing our church in the way that it looks, but in our hearts, doing a work that is deep and wide. You don't want to be so deep and not wide where no one knows what you're talking about. You understand what I'm saying? Some people are so deep, you're talking in code. No one knows what you're talking about, but you always end the statement with, thus saith the Lord, and apparently everyone <laughs> believes you. You know, if you've ever had a prophetic word over your life and this, someone says, God said so, I'm like, okay, I guess so. I guess he said it, because how can I tell you that you're wrong? Because you can say God said so. So we don't want you just to be deep, We want to be wide, wide in our love, wide in our reach. And I told our leadership team this, that we want to feed and reach people. We don't want to just be people, Christians, that continually getting teaching and going through the Word of God and going through Bible study and hearing the Word of God and liking the music, and that's it. There's nothing to it. But we want to be people and followers of God that impact our home, our city, and our church. We're called to be deep and wide. Now, this afternoon, I'm going to share with you what that practically looks like. You know, I'm going to hand out, and some of you guys have seen my handouts before. Uh, it's going to be thorough, and we're going to talk about an 18 month vision called Deep and Wide. And I'm excited about it. I want to share that with you uh, about what God, uh, I feel like God wants us to do in the next 18 months. But today, to kind of prime the pump this morning, I want us to focus in on Isaiah 43, verse 15 to 21. It was back in March when Audrey and I first came to this church and we visited. Uh, On a Sunday night, we uh, went to Kentucky, and we hung out there for a few days before we came here and made our way to Cleveland uh, on a Sunday afternoon. And the goal was this, just to connect with the search committee, just to, to hear them out and just to hear the story and just to hear, feel the vibe of the committee. And we were supposed to meet on a Monday night, and I told uh, Phil Bernard that, hey, I'd like to meet the committee at a restaurant. You guys know how much I love food. And uh, just to connect with them and hear stories. And Phil said, agreed and said yes. So we came in on a Sunday night and uh, we took a a time to sit down, connect with each other. And the whole time in our lives for the past year, God had been doing something new. It was something unexpected. It's something that I did not see coming. It was something in my personal life and in our personal life we planned, but God was saying and doing something different. Anyways, we had a great time that night. Some of you guys were there. And uh, it was in Bangkok, Thai, right here on Mayfield Road. And we, we stayed there for a few hours and heard the story. In fact, by the time we made it all the way around the table to our story, I just felt like Man, we were about to have an altar call or something in the restaurant, because it was so powerful, the stories around the table that were being shared from the people of this church. That was my first impression of New Song Church, that God was not only doing something new in our lives, but from the sense of it, from the people sitting around the table, that God was doing a new thing in the people's lives that were sitting around the table. Some of those folks have been here for 25 years. Some of the comments that I was hearing was like, wow, I did not know that about you. I didn't know that you got saved that way. I didn't, I didn't recognize that. People that we see every week, right? And what God was doing was so new, I was like, I wonder what he's up to. I don't know if you're like me, but anytime something like that happens, there's like a Holy Spirit radar that goes up in my mind, and it says, God's up to something. Anyways... I was just kind of cool, and uh, I said, okay, well, we we went home. We went to the hotel and stayed, and uh, the next morning, Al was uh, there to take us on a tour of Cleveland, right? And he made sure to miss the wrong streets, right? We were like weaving in and stuff, and he showed us the best of Cleveland. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? It's an amazing city. And then he took us to both campuses. And he began to kind of share the story. We came to this campus. Julie was there, opened the door. We came through the building, walked through the building, walked through the upstairs. I don't know if you know this, but there's a track up there. That's what's up there. It's a walking track. Uh, you can run on it. I think maybe ride a bike on it, but I don't think that's ever going to happen because you may go right through the window, right? If you miss the turn, right? But uh, God has blessed our church with so much. I remember walking into this facility and thinking, wow, what unexpected blessing in unexpected places. What unexpected blessings in unexpected places. That's how God does miracles. That's what happens when God gets involved. Sometimes things happen, sometimes it's messy, and sometimes we as people can get in the way of God, but God is in control. He's not in control of just the church down the road, He's in control of this church. He's in control of the destiny that is to be fulfilled in this church. It doesn't need us and our assurance God is already in control. He's waiting for us to tune in to that frequency. Isaiah 43 Isaiah is speaking to the captive Israelites in Babylon. Things have been messy for the Israelites. Up and down, up and down, up and down. I mean, if you really read the story of the Israelites all in one sitting, which would take a while, but if you did, it's, it's like the most schizophrenic decision-making of a group of people, I think, in history. Yes, we love God. The next second, they're building idols. <laughs> and literally, sometimes the next chapter, you know, the leader goes up the mountain and then they go <laughs> berserk. Sometimes they're so in love with God, and God forgives them and brings them back in, and sometimes they disobey. He takes them all the way to the promised land after years of ups and downs, and they still disobey him after. And they go into exile in Babylon, and now the Israelites are in a place, in a foreign place, where generations are being born, and they have no concept of the promise of God. Isaiah begins to speak this prophecy to this group of people and says, Hey, I know the circumstance you're in. I know what's going on, but I am about to do a new thing. I know you're no longer in the promised land. I know that things were up and down, up and down, and you have no idea how you're actually going to make it back again because you don't even know if I'm on your side. But God says, I'm about to do a new thing. Now, this verse was unique. I didn't study the scripture before we came. I really didn't even think about it. Uh, Audrey was in the backseat. Al was driving us around town, and we did not know this. Unbeknownst to us, the search committee uh, was introduced to this verse, and they were praying this verse over our church. Now, in the car, you know, uh, Al, just like every other person uh, who interviews a pastor should do, you should be asking the pastor's wife a lot of questions About the pastor. In fact, I was in the front seat, and for 25 minutes, I don't think I said a word. You know, and uh, Audrey began to share what God had put on her heart, and it was Isaiah 43:19. And then Al kind of freaked out, and Audrey kind of freaked out. It kind of had this moment in the car where I'm like, okay, this is this is starting to be a real big coincidence. What is God up to? What is God doing? What's he saying? Anyways, we left it alone. We went back home, and uh, Audrey really needed confirmation in the next few months and weeks. So she asked the Lord. I think we were still here, right, babe? When, When We were still here when she said, I don't know, God. Things are feeling like it's the right thing, but... There's a lot going on in our lives. There's a lot of change. We're about to have a baby. Uh, we're about to move. I'm about to not just move our home and city and say, but I'm about to move a family, have a baby in a place where you don't know anybody. And what are you doing? And she just prayed to the Lord. And we're at the hotel. And Audrey's best friend texts her a verse. And guess what verse that was? Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. You can't make this stuff up. When I scheduled this Sunday to be Vision Sunday, I did not know this because Audrey's friend was coming into town. And Audrey's friend is sitting right next to her, the one that texted her, and guess what Sunday she's here. Now you've heard of all the other tens and hundreds of coincidences, apparently, with what God wants to do in this church, but I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it's a new thing, and God is giving us a sign. He's giving us an opportunity, just like he's speaking to the people of Israel and saying, hey, you're in a foreign land. You're in a place you've never been before. How I mean, you guys would agree? We're in a place we've never been before. We're in some unchartered territory. We don't know how to get back to the promised land. Some of us who've been around would say, we don't know how to get back to the glory days. But God is not in the business of trying to get us back to the glory days. Because there is a new thing and a new glory that's happening. That is what he's doing. Isaiah 43, 15 to 21. I know some of you guys are like, Pastor, can we read the scripture, please? Let me read the whole context. It says this I am the Lord, your Holy One, the creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way through the sea. Literally, for the Israelites, the sea walls came up, and God made a way in, the, in their past to go walk right through it who brings forth the, the, and, and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the mighty man, they will lie down together and not rise again. They have been quenched and extinguished like a wick. It's talking about the fact that God brought them through the waters in their past. And when Pharaoh and his army came through, the waters took them out. This is when God interrupts and he starts talking to the people. He says again, do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness rivers in the desert the beasts of the field will glorify me the, the jackals and the ostriches because i have given waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people i want you to underline that if you have a bible or if you got your app or whatever just highlight that thing chosen People, The people whom I formed for myself will declare my praise. This is why I got excited when I found out they were doing a new song. And this is why I'm so into that song already. Let all the other names fade away until there's only you. Let all the other names fade away, right? Why? Because the people whom I form, the Lord says, for myself will declare whose praise? His praise. You know, the imagery in my mind as I was praying over this verse over the past few months, praying over this church with this verse over the past few months was simple, it doesn't take a genius to recognize what a desert looks like. It doesn't take a genius to recognize what the wilderness looks like. The Wilderness is a place, if you've been to the swamps of Louisiana, you can go there and you can get lost. Because you have no idea where you're at. In fact, if you don't have a compass, you're in trouble. Because there's no cell reception in some of those swamps down there. So you've got to have a compass and you've got to know your direction. Otherwise, you can get real lost. But God says, I will do a new thing where? In the desert. He didn't say, I will take you out of the desert. He He said, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers give you life in the desert. Here's the hard part of being in the desert. If you're If you've been in a desert, if you've been in the wilderness, is the hard part. is to expect something new. God, all I see is desert. All I see is wilderness. All I see is a mess. All I see is carnage and dead bodies everywhere. How are you going to do something new? So instead of following Jesus in our desert... And in our wilderness, we wait for the helicopter to come and take us out. I have news for you today. To tune into the compass of the Lord. Because there ain't no helicopter coming to take you out of the desert. God wants to do something new. Is the first thought I want to share with you. That new expectation breeds new miracles. Old expectation will never Breed new miracles. Let me give this a little New Testament vibe. Old wineskins do not mix with new wineskins. If you do, all of it gets ruined. This is why God is always in the now. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him new is now. That's the bottom line. If we don't recognize what God is saying to us in our personal lives at this minute, we cannot live on yesterday's bread. Have you tried eating pizza that's over a week old? I mean, you got to be a pretty desperate person to eat pizza after a week, or you could be a college student, right? <laughs> like, I'll just go ahead and grab it and eat it. It's sustenance. It- feels like cardboard going into my body, but it works. But so many times we live on yesterday's miracle. So many times in our life we will talk about, oh, I remember when God did. I remember when I used to work at this place. And I remember when I had, I remember Thanksgiving of 2009 when And we live in yesterday's glory, and the glory for today just goes missing. It just goes missing because we are not aware of what God is saying today. And churches are notorious for this, right? Because when things are going well, why would you ask for something new? Like when things are not going well, of course you want something new, right? Everyone loves new things. How many of you guys would like a new car? Some of you guys, I mean, God is seeing your hands. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just kidding, right? Some of you guys, I, I, uh, a tree branch in Shaker, it's not a tree branch, it's the size of a tree, this tree branch, fell on my car, took out my windshield, and uh, it was in the shop. But uh, they gave me, uh, as a rental, they, got, they hooked me up, and I got this like really nice uh, GMC SUV. And it's super nice. I mean, it makes me jealous, you know, a little bit. I'm like, God, I hate car payments. Can you hook me up with this one day, <laughs> you know? And you get in there, you look at the mileage uh, odometer, and it's like, you know, 3,000 miles or something. You're like, wow, kind of feels like it too, you know? You step on it, and it's going for it. You don't even care about the oil or the engine. You just kind of rev at it. You're taking turns. It's got the little dial, with the two-wheel drive to all-wheel drive. And then on top of that, it's got like a a snow mode and a sports mode. Guess which mode your pastor put it on. (laughs) You better believe it, especially when I'm coming in between campuses. (laughs) Right? We all like new things, like cars, like stuff, like homes, like more money? Or, but we don't like new things that ask us to change. The fact is, a car, it's not a huge change for me. But when God often tells me to do new things in my life, it often means that where does the new thing start with? With me. Here's some obstacles to the new things that God wants to do in our life. I just put a quick list. The first is this, an apathy to a miraculous God. The question is this, can he really do it again? I mean, pastor, I've been around. I've seen the young pastors come and go. You know, they all started wearing skinny jeans and eventually the jeans got bigger, if you know what I mean, you know? They couldn't wear the skinny jeans no more. Can he really do it again? Let me just get down to the point and say this. Well, Pastor, I was here, you know, 20 years ago when things were happening in Canterbury and we were just doing, blowing and going, we were just doing stuff and things were happening and we had dances all around, we had, you know, innovative people here and stuff was happening. I was here, Pastor. Can he really, can God really do it again? I like those people. The second is this, obstacles to new things that God wants to do in our life. Disobedience to responding to God's call. I don't know if you've met people like this. I have a few times. They're so upset about saying no to God that they take it out on everybody else. So because God has told them, hey, by the way, that decision I asked you to make two years ago, I'm still waiting on you to make that decision. Because we're saying no to God, we oftentimes take it out on other people and say, he can't do a new thing. He's not doing a new thing in my life, really because of my disobedience, but we're not talking about that. Disobedience to responding to God's call will be an obstacle to new things that he wants to do in your life. Number three, secret sin. Nothing saps confidence in the Word of God and in the presence of God more than secret sin in our lives. If you want to know the will of God, and if you want to tune in to hear God, believe me, make sure that your heart is clean before the Lord. If there is secret sin in your life, and you're trying to find out what God is doing now, it ain't happening. God is a holy God. God is a God of justice and of love. And He loves you too much to let you get away with it. Number four, misplaced identity issues. What do I mean by this? I mean this. Just like the Israelites who are now living in Babylon, under Babylonian rule, the Israelites lost their identity. Some of us get so used to the world that we live in outside of the will of God that we identify more with that world than with God's world. We're followers of Jesus, but we identify more with culture outside of God's Word than we do with culture inside of God's Word. And so when we get into the presence of God, we can disconnect our brains from the outside world. Even though you may be wearing a mask when you came to church, it's the the church mask, you know. It's like when you get out the car, you're like, put the suit jacket on, looking sharp, put that church mask on, you're ready to go. And you walk in and you're here. Everybody's seen you maybe for years. But the truth is this, when you get back out and you're wondering, God, why aren't you doing a new thing in my life? It's time to take the mask off and say, I am who I am, Lord. Would you meet me right where I'm at? Would you begin to work in my identity? I am a son. I am a daughter of the Most High God. So many times Christians think that we can just kind of squeak our way into heaven. And yeah, that's our objective. But you know the fullness of life that God wants you to live in this earth? You know, God wants you to be called with a purpose for a purpose, not just in church. And I've I've said this before. I love that everyone helps and I want more people to engage ministry here. And we will hear more about that this afternoon. But the truth is, God wants you to flourish in your life. He wants you to be a testimony to this culture that you are a child of God. That the reason why you have unusual favor is because you have God on your side. It's not because of your talents. It's not because of your looks or lack of. It's because God is on your side. See, so much time is wasted by looking back. In this world around us, voices for personal growth and well-being are almost unanimous. Calling us to dig up our past so we can do better in the future. But God's word through Isaiah is clear. Do not call to mind the former things. See, apart from the lessons we've learned, there's nothing to gain by starting in the rear view mirror. It's like driving your car on reverse, trying to get to where you're trying to go. God's, the whole time is telling us, would you stop looking at the rear view mirror and put it on drive? There is a windshield in front of you. You can go this way. You don't have to look at it this small. And that's what looking into the past does. It's such a small sliver. It's such a small percentage. You don't know the truth about what happened. You don't know the sides One of my favorite sayings here in the last few months has been this. Every coin has two sides. Now, I have a privilege as a pastor to get to know both sides. And sometimes those sides are slivers of a side, I understand. But the truth is this. We don't know what we don't know why would we drive looking at the rear view mirror when God is saying, would you open your eyes and would you begin to look away and look forward and look to the beyond and say, wow, look at what God has. See, until we get this in our spirits for our personal lives, he can't do it in our church. Uh, The pastor can preach about it, teach about it. I can holler here. We can have a Holy Ghost shindig in about two minutes, right? We can get organs. We can get better sound systems. We can get more campuses. We can do whatever we want. But until the church gets a hold of this concept that God is doing something now, we need to go to where he is, not ask him to come bless where we're at. He can't, he can't move in our lives. And so I wanted to quickly share with you, a few thoughts, a few thoughts from what I believe God is speaking to us and our church about this passage, about this prophetic word. And I believe that these few thoughts can be prophetic if you allow it to get into your soul and your spirit. I need you in the next few moments, not just to think, but I need, to get, I need you to get your heart engaged. What does that mean? That you need to lean into what the Holy Spirit is saying. You're not just listening to me, but you're leaning into what the Holy Spirit is saying. How do you embrace the new things that God has in store for you? New things are not trouble-free. They are not free. They take work. They take effort. It's a new thing. It involves A lot of uncomfortable things. But at the end, God will see us through. That's what he does. Because we're not doing this for us. We're not trying to do this for us. We're doing it for Jesus. The first is this. Remember who you serve. Remember who you serve. Verse 15 to 17 says this. I am the Lord. God speaking to the Israelites says, I am the Lord, your holy one, the creator of Israel, your king, who makes a way through the sea in a path through the mighty water waters, who brings forth the chariot and the horse and the army and the mighty man. Notice he said, mighty man. What does he do to them? They will lie down together and not rise again. You want to know why? Because we serve a mighty God that is mightier than the mightiest man alive. When you put both the army and the mighty man together, God can quench it in a second. That's how mighty God is. Isaiah is speaking to the Israelites and saying, I know you're in Babylon, I know you're in a place of the desert, in the wilderness, and it doesn't feel like home. I know this is not comfortable, but God is saying this simple thing. Remember who you serve. Some of us need to hear that this morning. Do you know who you pray to? He drives out demons. He heals people's bodies. He raises people from the dead. And his followers were raising people from the dead with his name. Lazarus was dead for three days, just decaying away, dying. The sister comes on and says, you're too late. Don't we do that to God so many times? God, you're just too late. Where were you? We're supposed to be friends, right? What are you doing? And he says to him, I'm not late. I'm on time. Watch and see, because there's a bigger picture to this puzzle that you don't even realize I'm about to use Lazarus for. Why three days? Have you thought about it? See, Jewish people recognize that in three days, a person's spirit would leave their body. That's why Jesus rose again, In three days, not two. Have you ever wondered why not two and why three? Because they had a tradition saying, if Jesus came out a day early, they would say, well, he was really not dead. After three days, Jewish people believed that the spirit would leave the body. And God wasn't just saying that, hey, I'm about to raise Lazarus from the dead and that he has been dead for three days. He was a little late, but he was trying to prove a point. That even in the most impossible of situations, God will make a way. And he will say to us what we need to do if we will allow him to. And he will allow us to be part of his plan if we will humble ourselves to be part of it. We cannot do and both. You cannot think your way into this. It is a fake step. It is a jump that happens in your heart. It is a conscious decision to say yes, yes. To God, and whatever that means, I'm all in. If you're like me and you're analytical, you can get in the way of God. You can think your way right out of the will of God for your life. This is why it's so important to go to where God is and to remember who you serve. I don't know how many years you guys have been serving Jesus, but you can get used to Jesus. You can get used to church, you can get used to worship. And then all we need is a healthy missions trip. (laughs) And I'm telling you, if we all did a missions trip next week and came back, I'm telling you, next Sunday morning, our praise and worship would be so big. Why? Because we went to India or Africa or South America or other places that don't have speakers and don't have lights and don't have heating, and we're just out there sweating like I have been in so many mission trips, just worshiping God in the sun or out in the open, and you don't even know what's going on, but you're just saying, God, move. They may be speaking another language, but you're just saying, hallelujah, hosanna in the high. I mean, you're just making up stuff. Why? Because you're connecting with God. You remember who you serve. In those times, it's so easy to connect with God. It's time for us to bring that on Sunday mornings. Do not forget, you know, I always encourage uh, congregations when I used to lead worship to come with expectation. Don't just wait here, grab a coffee, you know, praise God for that, right? Come in, is the heat on? You know, well, can somebody turn up the heat here? Walk in, take your jacket off, come in. They're like, oh, okay, they finally got a drummer. That's good. They're moving on up. Apparently, oh, look at that. They, they hung up a couple of lights. Things are happening around here. Oh, they got a curtain now? I can't see the food. I wonder what we're eating this afternoon. <laughs> and 13 minutes later, worship is done. And you're like, oh, yeah, the worship team needs, yeah, they need to do a better job. I mean, I'm just being honest too, right? I come every week running from the other campus, shaking people's hands out of breath, coming in. I'm like, what service is this? Did I get a ticket? Did the cop, did I run away? That's my, like one of my biggest fears as a side note is when I'm driving from Orange to here that I'm just going to be so focused on the Word of God. I usually have uh, worship music cranking, you know, so loud that sometimes I walk in here, I'm like, it ain't loud enough here. We got to do something about these speakers. i got going to get that thing going, you know? And I, I, I think sometimes that if there was a cop that actually tried to pull me over, on Cedar, like, I would just keep driving. And you guys would get notifications on your phone. You know, we got a manhunt happening, helicopters in Cleveland, local pastor goes rogue. I thought it was going to happen today where I kind of ticket, but it didn't happen, right? We got to remember who we belong to. See, sonship, leads us to remember what? The faithfulness of God. That's when, you know, when I, when I declare every morning that I am a son of God, right? That I'm a child of God. If you're a woman in here, you are a daughter of the Most High King. Don't let anybody talk down to you, right? Do you know who your dad is? You know, who's your daddy? Do you know who your daddy is? You don't want to mess with him, Right? It leads us to remember we serve a faithful God. Why? Because when we look back, we're like, you know what? God's come through before. I'm doing everything I can do to be in his will. I'm cool with that because I get to go home to Big Papa. That's what sonship does. If you believe that God can do that again in your life, I just want you to lift your hands. Just take a couple minutes. And just praise God that he can do it again, that he can do it again, that he's been faithful in your life, in your past, that he can be faithful again. Let's just remember who we serve. Number two, number two, forget the unbelief and the pride of your past. Forget the unbelief and the pride of your past. God interrupts in verse 18. He interrupts this this regularly tuned in prophetic message. And he speaks these words. It was almost like Isaiah was trying to say, thus saith the Lord. Just like some of us have prophetic people in our lives. And they're trying to translate something. And then, boom, verse 18 happens. And there is an interruption. And God says, Isaiah, can you just hang in there for a second? Isaiah kicks his prophetic gift into hyperdrive, and he speaks this. He says, do not call, God says. He speaks directly to his people. Isaiah is saying this, but now God is saying this directly to the people. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. See, sometimes you can be stuck on yesterday's glory. Or yesterday's mess-ups. And that is how unbelief starts. The root of unbelief starts when we start looking back instead of forward. Because we start looking back, and if it's really good, it becomes pride in our lives. And we start to say, well, things are never going to measure up to the way things were. Things are never going to be the way it used to be back in the day. The worship music nowadays, you know, whatever, just choruses. We used to sing hymns. Things are never going to me- measure up. If, if there's something that's uh, an unbelief in your life and, and you're, you're trying to get away from the past or the regret, no one knows who you are. Where did you come from? Nobody knows you've been here for for three and a half years and no one knows you? How? Because you're afraid of your past. So many of us have unbelief because we have things in our past that we have not dealt with. Things that are holding us back. See, when you live in the past and regret the future, you let go of the present. You understand? You know why that's so powerful? It's because decisions are happening even as we speak right now in the spiritual realm. So when you're living in the past, whether it's pride or whether it's things that you don't want to go to, right? And you don't want to talk about and you've got this thing, kind of this unbelief starting to brew up. And you're unwilling to go into the future. What you're saying to God is, God, I'm not listening to you right now. Because you're so focused in on denying what God is trying to do in your life. Now, some of us, we don't do this knowingly. I understand that. And that's okay, because there's grace. But at some point, we have to be real to God. And we have to be honest to God. We have to be transparent before the Lord and tell Him what's really going on on the inside. The first is this: We got to deny the pride of your past. The pride of our past makes us miss the miracle of the present. The pride of our past makes us miss the victories of the moment. It's amazing how even in my own life, you know, as I've uh, four months ago, we've been here for four months. One of the challenges that the Lord put in my personal. Uh, Life, when it comes to preaching and teaching, is this simple thing. Do not bring in a stale word of God from your past into this place. In other words, don't preach a message that you preached before. (laughs) Deny the pride of your past. The second is this, address the unbelief in your heart. Address it. You know, we have to take time to address unbelief of the past. Unbelief first, it leads us to recall the past and replace every mistake in your mind over and over and over and over and over again. See, if we live in the past, that's what's happening. All of the mistakes, because we never remember all the good things, amen? It's always the the things that we did wrong. It's over and over. And if you focus and live in that place, what happens to your unbelief, it, it grows. It grows. It grows. It grows. And some of it, and some of you guys may know this who work with people, sometimes you can say something so many times that you believe that that's what really happened. If you're a counselor in this room, you know people that you've talked with and and there was a revelation in the moment where you're like, that's not what happened. And this person's like, no, that's what happened. How does that happen? Because you keep playing in your mind the mistakes of your past and it grows and grows and soon your belief becomes unbelief. As Christians and followers of God, that is not how... God wants us to live. He wants us to forget the unbelief and the pride of our past. He wants us to move forward. I love how Apostle Paul puts it, and you know the scripture. I want you to read it out with me. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take in hold of it, but one thing I do. If you want to smack your neighbor and wake him up a little bit, do it right now. Do it right now. One thing I do, the Apostle Paul, an expert in everything when it comes to Christianity. He's like, look, I'm not going to sit here and I'm not going to say that I've, Got a hold of it. I've kind of taken this, I got this whole, I'm an expert thing, you know. No, but there's one thing I do. You want to know what that one thing is? It's forgetting what is behind and straining to words. Oh, I love that word. It gives me comfort in times when I'm in a place of frustration and I'm in a place of despair, trying to do what God's calling me to do. When God's telling me to move forward and it hurts a little bit, it feels like I'm straining a little bit. But Apostle Paul, he tells us and says, straining towards what is ahead. Why? I press on towards the goal, which is to what? Win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in who? Christ Jesus. So what is our prize for all the work that we do on this earth? Guess what our prize is? It's Jesus. So you want to talk about a higher calling to do what we're called to do. This is the higher calling, that we are doing what God called us to do, and we will see the face of Jesus one day. And even though I'm straining and it hurts and I'm cramping up a little bit and I can't move, I'm still going to go ahead and inch forward to what God has. Now, some of you guys, I'll be honest, you guys are like, you're too intense for me, pastor. I understand. But that's the difference between those people that do something for God and those that stay on the sidelines and complain and whine and say things can't be done. Because in order for you to meet Jesus face to face one day and to say, Oh, yeah, I did everything God called me to do. It requires a little strain. It, it requires a little back pain every now and then. It, it requires a little bit of, you know, opening up your wallet and giving when you don't have all there is to give. What are you gonna tell God I wasn't generous with my finances because I I the, the people didn't know how to manage money? Where was this money going? It was the kingdom of God. What are we going to tell God one day about our time? Well, God, to be honest, I worked like 70 hours a week. I really didn't have a lot of time. I needed my time off too, God. I really needed like five weeks of vacation because every time I look at Instagram, everybody's on vacation. Everybody's living the high life, right? I really needed that. And, you know, the truth is, God, I mean, I can give you like 47 weeks of the year. Is that Okay we will see Jesus one day. The prize is ahead of you, not behind. The prize is ahead of you, not behind. This is not a carrot that the Lord dangles in front of you and the direction changes, you know? That's not what's going on here. The prize is ahead of you. It will always be something new because new things Is what God is about doing. Not because it's new, because that's who he is. He is a creator. That's the bottom line. He creates things. Number three, quickly, I know some of you guys are getting hungry. Don't worry, we got warmers. Things are happening. Smelling good. I can smell some stuff already. (laughs) I'm ready to eat too. Praise God. Number three, don't lose heart. See, some of us, we know who we serve, and we serve a mighty God. Some of us, we have forgotten the unbelief and the pride of our past, but we have lost heart. We have lost heart. Verse 19, God speaking to the Israelites says again, Behold, I will do something new. Do we need to do something new? Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. We can't even stop what's new. God wasn't asking us for permission to do something new. He said, Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. What's our job? He says, he speaks to us and tells us. The Lord's speaking to us even today. Will you not be aware of it? God is doing a new thing. There is a river running through this place. There is waters about to smash through the walls and be a river that goes through this city. Will you not be aware of it? We cannot stop it. The enemy cannot stop it. The mighty man cannot stop it. The armies of the the enemies cannot stop it. Our past cannot stop it. God is about to do something new. See, the word for aware, and all we need to do is be aware of it. In the Hebrew, it means yada, or what does it mean? To know. It's not just to sit back and to say, hey, that's a great message. It's a great season. I'll enjoy the benefits. It's actually to get in the game. God is saying to us right now, will you not know it? Will you not just perceive it? Because we're all good at perceiving it. Like, okay, I kind of feel like things are good and things are good. But will you not engage it? Because it is something new. See, many of us wait for a rhema word of God. How many of you guys want a rhema word of God? right? A word of God that's in your heart. That's what what rhema means, right? A word of God, word from the Lord that gets in your heart. So we want a rhema word of God, but you know what? You know where the word of God resides? It's your heart. What if God's speaking to you a rhema word and is trying to get into your heart, but your heart is too hard, And you keep telling the Lord, Lord, I want a rhema word. I want a new, fresh word from you. And your heart is solid. You will not give anything to God without a soft, pliable, humble, and confident heart. Because God's word will continue to speak what is new. But Isaiah reminds us, and the Lord reminds us, don't lose heart. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. I want to pause right there. Everyone loves the first part of the verse. (laughs) Wait, let me rewind again. Now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Yeah! Amen! <laughs> I want some of that, right? Give me more of that, Jesus. According to the power that works in How's was the power in your life. How's was God's power in your life. Because if you don't have that power in your life, you can ask or think whatever you want. It ain't happening. I want to encourage you today begin to move to a place that we can say God's word, his rhema word, is active and alive today. Tune your heart to the frequency of what God is speaking today. You know, I'm not that old. I keep telling people that. The younger people think I'm ancient. You know, and some people think I'm older because of this white, gray stuff that's starting to appear on my face. Kind of weird, you know, as you get older, (laughs) things change, doesn't it? And and the truth is this, one of the things that I notice in my life as I get older is I start to get real uneasy with change, not because of change, I'm a pretty innovative person, I, I love new things. I just uneasy with losing trust. It's more of a control thing. Have you noticed that in your own life? The, the real reason for me having a problem or you having a problem with, with change is because we're losing control. And in our relationship with God, when is this gonna end? Twenty years from now? Thirty years from now? The truth is, it's never going to (laughs) end. My life is God's life. Everything that I do is His. My whole goal and existence of living is who? Jesus. So I have to tune my heart every morning to the frequency and the channel that God is speaking. I cannot go a moment without hearing God's word. I cannot go a second without hearing God's word because I believe that He is speaking to me today. Number four, expect unexpected blessing from unexpected places. Expect unexpected blessing from unexpected places. Verse 19 says this I will even make a roadway in the wilderness. Rivers in the desert. In other words, in the places that you least expected the miracle. That's where God's going to do the miracle. In the conversations that you least expected those conversations to be, the life-giving conversation, the miracle is in that conversation. In the people whom you least expected to change, God is saying, that's where the miracle is going to happen. In the job that you cannot stand, but the only thing you're doing is to work to pay bills. That's where God is going to do the miracle. In the diagnosis that you have received, and we're from Cleveland Clinic or any other great hospital here, and science says, the diagnosis and prognosis says, this is it. That's where God is going to do the miracle. In the financial struggles that you find yourself sinking in, the Nobody knows about. Every day, that's where God is about to do it. In the very issue that the enemy uses and has tried to use in the past to destroy this church, that is what's about to be the miracle. With disunity, God is about to clean house and bring order and unity. When it comes to racism, God is about to put order and get rid of racism. When it comes to lack of trust, when it comes to leadership, God is about to put order and he's about to do a miracle. Will you not be aware of it? See, God is in the business of doing a new thing. Will you not perceive it? Verse 20, it says this. I want you to catch this. It's an amazing, it's an amazing prophetic word to the people of Israel, to us today. The beasts of the field. The very thing that the Israelites were scared, like it would tell God, God, we're in Babylon right now and we're going to be making our way back to Israel, but there's beasts out there. They can come and kill us. There's a desert out there. There's a wilderness out there. God said, The very beasts of this field will glorify who? Will glorify me. The jackals and the ostriches, because I have given water in the wilderness. Do you know who feeds our enemies? It's God. You don't have to be afraid of enemies. You don't have to be afraid of enemies in your life if you're in the will of God for your life. Why? Because God's in charge of them too. He said he's in charge of the water for those beasts. I like that. He says, I can take away their source. That's what he was saying in the scripture. In the wilderness and the rivers in the desert, to give drink to who? We're about to see something that only God can do. We're about to see something happening through this place that only God can do because He's about to divert resources and people and leaders. And He's about to make it come and collide at 15 Severance Circle. When things around here look dead, I'm telling you right now, God is about to do a new thing through this facility, through our church, through Severn Circle, through Cleveland Heights, and to Cleveland, to Ohio, and the world. God wants to do a new thing. But notice what he says. He says, All this I will do because the people whom I formed for myself will declare my praise. You know why he does all these things? He does it for you. Roz, he does it for you. Joanne, does it for you. Al, for you. Ava, for you. Claire, for you. DeAndre, for you. does it for you and you and you and you and you. And he will continue to be faithful to his people. He will continue to do what only he can do. In the devotional book, God Will Make a Way, Don Moen. How many of you guys have heard of Don Moen? He shared this story behind the song. You know the song? Late one evening, Don Moen, he received a phone call with devastating news. His wife's sister had lost her oldest son in an auto accident. Uh, Craig and Susan Phelps and their four sons were traveling to Texas from Colorado, on their way to Colorado, when their van was struck by an 18-wheeler truck. All four boys were thrown from the van. Craig and Susan located their sons by their cries. Can you imagine that? Trying to find your kids by the way that they cry. One boy was lying in the ditch. Another in an area, wet from melted snow. Nearby was his brother, who landed by a telephone pole. All were seriously injured, but when Craig, a medical doctor reached Jeremy, his fourth son, he found himself lying by a fence post with his neck broken. There was nothing Craig could do to revive him. Craig was a doctor, a professional, trying to do everything he could possibly do and could not revive his son. When Don, the uncle, received the news of this tragedy a few hours later, He recalls, my whole world came to a standstill, but I had to get on a plane the next morning and fly to a recording studio and session that had been scheduled for several weeks. Although I knew Craig and Susan were hurting, I couldn't be with them until the day before the funeral. During the flight, the morning after the accident, God gave him a song for them. And it simply says this, God will make a way, where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. The song was based from Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness. And boy, were they in the desert. This song would bring comfort to Craig and Susan when all hope seemed lost. It touched the hurt in their hearts with hope and encouragement. Don received a letter from Susan in which she quoted Isaiah 43, 4. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other people in exchange for your life. That's what that scripture says. Susan wrote, we've seen the truth of the scripture. When Jeremy's friends learned that he accepted Jesus.